Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon, and we break down different issues related to benefits compliance and your group health plans. And today we're going to take a look at the benefits related items in President Biden's pandemic response legislation proposal, as well as a high level look at the administration's first 100 days. And so we can say president because today is actually inauguration day is the day that we're, we are recording this podcast. So Chase, um, give us a little bit of background on what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that's right. It's official. We now have a new administration as we just saw Joe Biden and Kamala Harris take their oaths of office and officially become the president and vice president of the United States. So it uh, feels like a new era a little bit and it, it kind of is. So there's lots to digest overall, right? With so much going on in our, in our country, but today we're going to focus on a few immediate things to expect from the new administration, both on that proposal and on maybe the first hundred days of, of the new administration. Okay, so let's let's start with the um, proposal relating to the pandemic relief. I know we already had end of the year relief bill, which we're still digesting and getting through. Mm-hmm. And we talked about on podcasts a couple of episodes ago, but but talk to me about this new proposal. Yeah, so let, let's first say that this is indeed just a proposal, right? It's nothing yet. And sometimes when the word gets out in the press or in somebody's email, they think that something has changed. Uh, so don't nothing is changed on this yet. It's just a proposal. Congress will have to take it up and we don't know how quickly they'll do that. Um, They have a lot on their agenda right now. Uh, But some in Congress have indicated that they want to take this proposal or some type of proposal up quickly and some think that it's necessary to take it up quickly. So we'll have to see on that. But the proposal itself is called the American Rescue Plan. And uh, the subtitle, just to give you kind of a flavor for what they're thinking here, The subtitle is Emergency Legislative Package to Fund Vaccinations, Provide Immediate Direct Relief to Families Bearing the Brunt of the COVID-19 Crisis, and Support Struggling Communities. So there's lots of items in the proposal, and they go way beyond benefits and insurance, but it's meant to sort of be President Biden's first step of an aggressive plan to address pandemic-related issues. So really quickly, just in case you hear about them, the non-benefit items include a national vaccination program, doing uh, stuff to safely reopen schools and businesses. There's additional stimulus checks in there at $1,400 per person. So you'll hear that. Funding for upgrading, uh, sorry, funding for upgrading our national infrastructure, which includes federal data systems, Mm -hmm. um, rental assistance, unemployment benefits, and other direct financial assistance. So overall, the proposal's focused on communities that are particularly struggling with the pandemic, including frontline and transit workers, communities of color, and the less fortunate. So there's a lot in there that we're probably not going to unpack because we try to right. stick really to issues related to benefits and uh, group health plans. So tell me just about the issues that will impact employers directly and particularly with their compliance considerations. Yeah, thanks for refocusing. <laughs> but the first item outlined in the proposal relating to employer compliance is related to paid leave. 
Uh, paid leave generally is on the periphery of core employee benefits and group health plan compliance, but they're intertwined, right? And employers have to deal with leave issues in conjunction with their benefit plan offerings and eligibility. So they end up hand in hand. But the proposal here sort of acknowledges the previously enacted FFCRA leave. And uh, we've talked a lot about those in the past. That's the emergency paid sick leave and the emergency and expanded FMLA paid leave. Uh, but those requirements of the FFCRA expired on December 31st of 2020. Now we know based on the end of your legislation that the tax credits are available for any leaves that is optionally provided by employers through March 31st, 2021. Um, but the FFCRA leave, uh, leave is no longer required. So the proposal goes on to ask that the FFCRA requirements be put back into to place, first of all, and then eliminate the exemptions that were there for larger employers. That's the over 500 employee employers. And there was an exemption for smaller employers, those that were under 50. So in other words, all employers would have to comply. And then the proposal goes even further to eliminate exemptions for certain types of workers, namely healthcare workers and first responders. So those types of employees would also be eligible for FFCRA. So really, FFCRA is easy for you to say. <laughs> Uh, but really, so really broadening it, um, it's right. the impact and the mandate. That's right. It's basically a renewal and an expansion. Um, and we'll see that it kind of comes back to this end of September date. We're going to see this on a couple of different items in the proposal here, uh, really trying to push it through the first three quarters of 2021. Uh, but the proposal goes on to say that it wants to expand paid sick and family med and medical leave even further by asking to provide uh, over 14 weeks of paid sick and family and medical leave to help parents uh, with additional caregiving responsibilities, those that are impacted with, through a quarantine or caring for others with COVID you know, in their families or in their households, or for people needing uh, time to take away from work to get the vaccine. It's not entirely clear whether they're asking for an additional 14 weeks beyond what FFCRA already requires, or if it's just expanding FFCRA from 12 to 14 weeks. So that part, we'll just have to wait and see what uh, the administration actually meant. We'll need clarification there. Uh, but it also asked to expand those lead protections to federal workers. They currently were not included. And so that would include another uh, approximately 2 million uh, American workers. Wow. That's uh, that that really expands it beyond way beyond what it has been currently. Um, so right. we you know we see the expansion of the types of uh, employers that would have to apply and the types of employees that may be eligible for that paid sick family medical leave. What about the benefit amount? Is there are there any changes that are proposed to the amount um, of the benefit? Yeah, the proposal calls for a maximum paid leave benefit of $1,400 per week for eligible workers. So that would be actually be full wage replacement for workers that earn up to $73,000 annually. And apparently that equals more than three quarters of all workers. So a bump in wage replacement amount as well as that expansion. And that automatically triggers the question of who's going to pay for this, right? Is this going to be an employer burden? Will it be subsidized? Um, uh, the, the proposal calls for an extension of the refundable tax credit for up to 100% of the cost of the leave for employers with fewer than 500 employees. So in other words, the FFCRA tax credits, that same idea would be extended to help those employers with fewer than 500 employees foot the bill. 
Larger employers, though, appear to be on the hook. Uh, they were already on the hook, right? Uh, and many probably already have PTO policies that are expansive and generous enough to meet the requirements, but it would require this additional obligation to do that, and it would trigger uh, larger employers to review their leave policies to make sure that the reasons employees can take the leave are expansive enough to align with this proposal. Uh, the proposal would also reimburse state and local governments for the cost of leave. I know we have a lot of clients that are state and local uh, governments. Uh, and the again, the emergency paid leave extensions would run through September 30th of 2021. So while the end of the pandemic is uncertain, obviously, it, it would extend the leave protections through Q3 of 2021. That would seem to align with the vaccination progress and right. schedule. Um, I'm sure everybody has to remain flexible. We don't know how exactly how fast this is all going to occur, but it also, I think, is trying to set the expectations that we're going to continue to have these interruptions at work relating to the pandemic, and, and therefore we need some type of protection so employees can feel okay taking time away to deal with those issues. Right. Certainly in the immediate future, we'll, we'll continue to see those issues because it will take a while for those vac vaccinations to roll out and, and to really right. have, make an impact on our society. But is there anything else in that proposal? And again, this is a proposal um, mm -hmm. that could impact employers outside of leave. Yeah, so one, one item that's in there that has been notably missing from other pandemic legislation is uh, COBRA subsidies. And we know that in past economic downturns, Congress had some type of COBRA subsidy, something to help employers who lose their health insurance as a result of a furlough or getting laid off or termination and we also know that lots of employees have lost their jobs during this pandemic. So this one maybe feels a little bit overdue, or at least the discussion of it feels like it should have been more prevalent previously. But the proposal addresses this by calling for Congress to subsidize COBRA coverage through the end of September. Again, we see that same time frame, uh, but we see the administration specifically asking for COBRA subsidies. Uh, yeah. And the challenge is that for those employees who lost coverage previously and didn't enroll in COBRA because they couldn't afford it, um, right. may not be eligible for this. But anyway, go, go ahead. Right. Yeah. We kind of have this gap now here, but we see the discussion at least coming up and the administration at least asking Congress to consider it. We don't know what the details would look like here. It could be the employer providing the subsidy and then getting reimbursed on the back end through tax credits or some other reimbursement from the government. It could be the employee taking a direct tax credit or getting their direct payment from the government. So the level of employer involvement there is unknown. But this is kind of a big deal that they're specifically mentioning it here in the proposal. I think that specifically puts it on the list of requests from you know, the White House to Congress. And so it would seem more likely that Congress would seriously consider it. But we'll have to wait and see what actually happens there. Yeah, it's certainly something we've been watching for. We've been we've been watching for something along COBRA. Um, and it seems to have become less of an issue once the, you know, of course, the marketplace has rolled out and there was more affordable coverage um, in the individual market. But it's still it's certainly still an issue. Was there anything else related to insurance premiums in the proposal outside of the COBRA subsidies? Yeah, there actually is another nugget in there. Uh, the proposal asked Cong Congress to expand and increase the value of the premium tax credit to help lower or eliminate health insurance premiums and to ensure enrollees, including those who never had coverage through their jobs, right? We always talk about these people who lost coverage as a result of a furlough or termination, but there's plenty that never had the coverage, but that those 
uh, all those individuals won't pay more than eight and a half percent of their income for coverage. So Suzanne, we've talked on past podcasts a lot about Biden's healthcare agenda and policies. We see here a key agenda and policy item, and that's preserving and expanding the ACA and addressing coverage access and affordability for those who either lost coverage or who might not have ever had coverage through their employer. So remember the premium tax credit, that's the tax credit available in the state health insurance exchanges. Those exchanges were set up as a key part of the ACA to serve as a function to help uh, lower income be able to afford coverage. And we know the standard for affordability threshold was actually 9.5% under the original ACA. So we see that going down to 8.5% to try and help individuals even more. So by expanding the availability and amount of the tax credit, uh, we see Biden pushing for preservation and a slight expansion of the ACA. And that fits right in with those agenda and policy items that that were, were outlined originally with the Biden administration. Right. So as a reminder, as, as Chase mentioned, these these apply to the individual market, not the group health right. market. But uh, is there anything else, just in insurance generally, that the proposal relates to, whether it be the individual market or the group health market? Yeah, one other th- minor thing, and it's at a very high level, so no big details here, but there's a subtitle in there called Expanding Access to Behavioral Health Services. And, um, you know, this highlights the fact that the pandemic has made access Uh, to mental health and substance use disorder services even more essential than before. And so the proposal calls on Congress to appropriate uh, $4 billion to help enable better access to uh, substance abuse and mental health services. So we already have the Mental Health Parity uh, and Addictions Equity Act. That's another mouthful. Easy easy one for you to say. (laughs) We have that federal law that's trying to bring mental health services on par with you know, physical health services. And we have state laws expanding access to and requiring coverage of mental health and substance use disorder treatments and prescriptions. So this just plays into the idea that that will continue to see, we'll continue to see that as a trend of addressing and treating mental health conditions, again, on par with physical health conditions. We don't have many details here, so we don't know what, what this actually means for group health plans, uh, but that's, uh, I thought it was worth mentioning that it's in there. It, it, and you know, that's interesting because the pandemic has certainly resulted in an increase in the use of mental health services, and it's, so it's, it really is uh, timely from that perspective. Right. Um, any other final thoughts on the proposal? Anything else that stuck out to you? Yeah, one thing that's unrelated to benefits for the most part, but it's about child care assistance. This has been another big challenge for employers and employees, and it is a little bit outside of our scope. But with the many different school closures or online learning arrangements that are out there, and and also with respect to women, uh, the disproportionate burden the pandemic has had on women leaving the workforce, the proposal asks for financial assistance for employees and for child care centers to help care for children so employees can work. So in addition to some block and other grants for struggling daycare centers, to kind of, I guess, try and help, you know, make, make it easier to find daycare, the proposal asks for an expansion of the child tax care credit on an emergency basis. So I just mentioned that as there may be interaction there with employees wanting to take advantage of any expanded tax credits should they occur. And that may be helpful to employers as well to know that there you know, may be more, more and better childcare options. And there could be an interaction with the employer's dependent care FSA or their DCAP. So more to come on that. Again, we don't 
know a lot of the details there, but this is an issue we know our clients and other employers have been dealing with. This idea of childcare is a real challenge for their employees and then the interaction with the dependent care accounts. Okay, so moving on to the first 100 days of the administration, obviously we're going to wait to see how this unfolds. We've got a little bit of insight. Um, what, what can you tell us about that right now? No claim of knowing the future here, but we know President Biden is anxious to sign several executive orders today, day one in office. Uh, most of those are unrelated to benefits. We hear about this in the news about climate accords, immigration, and these other non-benefits related type of uh, issues. But for our purposes, we know that these executive orders will ask the executive agencies, so we're talking about the IRS, the Department of Labor, Health and Human Services, uh, to hold off on certain regulation, finalization, or implementation. Uh, in addition, we could see the agencies pull back on other regulations that went into effect in uh, President Trump's administration. So recently, we've seen the DOL publish proposed rules on wellness programs and on independent contractor status. I'm just pulling two examples here that are very recent. And uh, those are two examples where the rules are proposed and an executive order could direct uh, the IRS or the DOL to pull back or significantly change the rules. So we won't go into the details on the wellness program or the, the independent contractor proposed rules. We do have some great articles in our compliance corner newsletter describing those, but those could change significantly before they actually take effect. Uh, so uh, employers will want to be aware of the rules and, and sort of understand what the proposed changes could, could be uh, because that instructs on kind of, you know, different ways of thinking about the wellness program or the independent contractor rules. But it's likely they're going to be pretty different when they're actually implemented down the road. So I think we'll just have to wait and see which executive orders are signed and which executive orders direct, you know, which agencies to do what. Uh, but we just kind of see this holding pattern a little bit on, on maybe rules that are out there, or rules that were recently implemented. Yeah, thank you, Chase. I appreciate you walking through all of this today. And it, it really was a good plug also for Compliance Corner. It's our newsletter that comes out biweekly. We also will be putting out information via webinars, um, this podcast, of course, and any immediate uh, information that needs to go out, we send out in a Washington update form. So just continue to be plugged into your brokers, and we will continue to push out information as it unfolds with our analysis on how it impacts you as the employers. So for now, as we like to say, Chase, that's a wrap. Thank you very much for joining.